Welcome to the Mindful Surf podcast with myself, Will Foster, and my co-host, Liam Morgan, who says he is a pubic hair detective, but that is a massive lie, ladies and gentlemen, because I seem to have a pubic hair on my notes today, and Liam didn't spot it. I did. He talks the talk, but he does not walk the walk, ladies and gentlemen. This guy is always talking about pubic hair. I never mention it, obviously. (laughs) It's not like I ever mention it every week. It's Liam always talking about it. You've got an unhealthy obsession. So um, I think it's because it's, it's one of the last few safe places to go. It's why. definitely not a safe place to go it's if anybody's <laughs> investigating your... Uh, I have to say, having or, just ridden down to it, the beach... It looks like Tom Selleck down there. <laughs> so those of you who don't know who enough, Tom Magnum. Selleck is, he made a great appearance. He was Magnum. Magnum. He made a great appearance in Friends. Yeah. During his spell. They're a very handsome man. And he was in things like Three Men and Little Baby. He was. But Magnum was his... Uh, John Wayne Freeman would be a, a Magnum PI yeah. sort of fan. Yeah. Oh, 100%. But talking about pubic hair, I just... So I was trying to get you off the topic, do, but never no, mind. I need to carry on. This isn't a surf show. This is all about genital hair. It's uh, rode down to the beach just now for a swim, because we're very lucky we live near the sea, mm. and it's flat at the moment. Boo. Boo. And yeah, I rode down in my cycling short things that are sort of quite tight but it's good because it keeps everything in place it means you can really get a good pump on the bike and use them in the seat they're versatile so many uses one short many uses yeah well i did run it i did run into you while on your way down there you were wearing a very tight pair of shorts that looked like they'd been sort of self yeah homemade it were a bit homemade and one guy looked at me on the seafront a bit annoyed all right why are you wearing that that's, that was the look I got a little bit. Yeah. Because um, it does reveal the bulge. They weren't his weaver. shorts that you'd stolen maybe off the like- <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe I had. Oh, you recognise those shorts? I recognise those. That's how they all talk. My shorts don't bulge like that when I wear them. We were discussing before the show quivers. Yeah. Now, we're talking about circle quivers here. I don't know if there could be another such thing, by the way. Quiver of yeah, well, um, anything. Else. Arrows, I believe. Whoa, look at you. Yeah. I think you probably went to university, dude. That's smart. Yeah. You know your stuff. That's Yeah. Now, so why is it called <laughs> I was going to start making up that I went to a really expensive school, but I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. So that's what they teach you at Eton. Yeah. Um, no, no. I think you have a quiver. Yeah, that's where you get your arrows from. I'm thinking uh, Robin, Robin Hood. Interesting. Interesting. And we're discussing quivers, and it's always evolving. If you are someone who is... Oh, actually, that's actually a lie. Is it always evolving? I think some people, with regards to their quiver, have a one-board quiver, and they're happy with that. Yeah. For decade after decade, sometimes, you know, just one board, great, it's all I do, that's lovely. Other people aren't. So actually, as I was about to say, that it evolves, and it expands, and it does these things. Actually, no, no, <laughs> what I'm actually doing is just talking about myself. Yeah. In a way of sort of almost unconsciously justifying my expenditures. Your, your next purchase. My next purchase. So, yeah, the thing with them, it's this constant to and fro It's just like the ocean itself. Waves come, waves go. What I find, and I want to hear your thoughts, Liam, what I find is I go through a phase, it's all phases or waves of wanting to shred, wanting to rip, get into the vertical pocket of the wave and et cetera, and do these kind of things. And then enough time doing that, and you slowly start to sort of want a bit of novelty. We talk about this all the time. 
And when I brought novelty into my experience, get a big boost in happiness. Mm-hmm. Now that novelty is often a different board. Now to get a different board, sometimes you might not have that board in your quiver. And then what you end up doing, like a lot of surfers, you spend hours and hours on your little smartphone researching and looking and wondering and weighing it all up. And this one, that one, oh, they're expensive. And what about this? I thought, well, there's that technology. Oh, this could be lighter. And that's got channels. And oh, but it's five feet, three, should I go three feet? And there's so many endless options. And what you end up doing is going down a dark rabbit hole. <laughs> I do at least. Of bored porn, basically. Mm. Until you start to sort of create an idea of what you want. You then go for that idea. You fork out the cash. And sometimes it's a mistake. I've made many mistakes with, with my Quibicon, maybe too much volume and too little. And I think it's really important that A, we're not shy of going for that next board as long as you've got the cash. Just face the fear, just do it, just get that cash done. I know it's a big amount, but fuck it, just it's going to be worth it. Keep that in mind, number first point. And then second bit is accept when it doesn't necessarily go according to plan. Mm. Because there is that bit of us. I know I have this as much as my family might be like, do you really have a bit of guilt about? <laughs> but it's that I then go, oh, I've spent all that cash and actually it's now not quite worked out. Sorry, honey. I'm, trying, yeah. I'm going to sell it now. <laughs> She's like, I thought you said that was going to be the last one. Mm. There are some places that do like ride out guarantees, aren't there? But you, you sort of want to be able to try before you buy on some of these boards mm. so you can give them a whirl at whatever break or conditions you're going to try them in. I, was, I think a few shows ago, I was saying it'd be great to have like, because the quiver is essentially, and again, I caveat, I don't play golf, but it is your... It's your set of clubs, isn't it? And you you sort of pick a club depending on what ball you're hitting and how far you want to hit it and what conditions and course you're playing. And board quivers are a similar thing. You know, what you're getting out of the wave, what's the way of doing, what do you need to get the most out of that condition that you find yourself in? So then you would pick a board based on that. But it would be really good to keep that analogy rolling, as I probably repeat myself from a few weeks ago, is to have the luxury of having somebody on the beach who is like a board caddy who says to you, hey, this is today, it's doing this. This is where I've been watching you surf for the last few weeks. You're at this level. You push yourself if you surf this board. If you want an easy ride, you're going to be on that board there. And to sort of reduce the tyranny of your own choice a little bit by giving you, just handing it to you and saying, paddle out on that. Let's see what you can do. I love that because it points to a truth about choice. Yeah. When you've got no choice, there's a radical level of acceptance because you just have no choice. Mm. You don't even have to try and accept like, the amount of times, and I've said this to you before, I've been in the ocean going, well, the 20 would be better, you know, or oh, a bit looser, a bit longer, bit, and you just, you're not as present as you could be. Now, I am better at that. I am better at just going, look, I'm just going to ride my longboard and it's a foamy thing and it's not got that much control in these waves now because they are bowling and they're powerful, but I'm just yeah. going to just enjoy the glide and see what I can do. Yeah. I'm getting better at that. But overall, knowing I have that choice there is as much of a challenge as there is the joy involved in having the choice that's there per se. So it's this thing, it's a bit like um, when you, you go to watch TV in the evening with a friend or the other half or yeah. group of friends and you're like, oh, what should we watch? Okay, let's have a look. Right, flick, 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 flick. Okay, the amount of choice in TV today is fucking ridiculous. And I'll be really frank, I'm going I'm to get out my box here. Here we and, go. And say that most of it, this is completely off topic, but most of it is really negative, just by the way. We've talked about this before. Yeah. I think it's just a reflection, maybe, 
of people's addiction to unhappiness, yeah. whatever that might be. It's like an addiction. They are addicted to those headlines that say disasters are happening. They're addicted to the, the shows that are full of fear and disaster and horror and all these things. Anyway, that's completely off topic. But the thing with choice is it's a blessing and a curse. And it's just being able to kind of balance the two on a very much more serious topic, bringing this right back into specifics of Quiver. There is a board that I'm looking at that I really fancy because it sits right in the middle between my longboard, which I can cut back a bit, and spe- especially going left. If I've got a left, and I'm going left, I'm regular footed, by the way, so this is my backside to listeners. If I'm going backside on my longboard, and it's only a little single fin, and it is a foam top thing, it's not really a performance longboard, I can whip it through the bowl and actually reconnect with the foam, yeah. but only backside. Front side, find it really difficult. But the thing is, it glides really well. I can nose ride. I've been loving doing nose riding and hanging five and trying to get better at that because we've talked about on the show. Mm-hmm. Longboarding has been part of my, how can I bring flow? How can I bring stoke to our crumbly small waves? And it's been so important, mm-hmm. that board. But obviously what starts to happen is you realize that there's another board there, maybe, that could actually do a front side cutback and could do an even tighter backside one and have a little bit more versatility. And it's a six six. So my my longboard is a nine or eight mm. eight single fin, flat as a pancake for nose riding. I've got my puddle. This is my Sidmouth quiver, by this is where we live. Our grovel quiver because we do get very weak waves here. I then have the puddle jumper, which you talked loads about for when it's proper cooking for us. Because most people abroad are like, wait a second, that's your board for when it's pumping. And you go, yeah, oh. you haven't surfed Sidmouth yet. <laughs> you haven't lived on the south coast of Devon before, so that's for when it's pumping. And then there's this one in the middle. And one in the middle is that the novelty and the flow experience of having to concentrate on a little twinny mm-hmm. with some channels at the back for grip would just be great, I think. And I'm saying all this, like, it's just, again, it's just a complete justification for spending money. There's a surf shop out there somewhere going, oh, we've got him. He's going to spend some money, this boy. <laughs> yeah, totally. It's interesting. I think there is a tyranny of choice when it comes to things. We've said long before, though, you kind of want to, and it worked for me, concerned myself to start with less about a quiver and more about am I fit to surf? So the board won't fix. I mean, here we go back into mindful surfing, isn't it? You know, the board won't fix your problems for you. You've got to work out where you want to improve and what you're doing and what's the sort of sticking point and be honest about that sticking point. Because it can be an addiction to, well, if I change that, and the more you change, you don't get time to work the same board and work the rail. Because there are times when I've thought, yeah, this board can't turn. I'm going back a few years. I can't turn this board. And actually, it wasn't the board that couldn't turn. It was me. (laughs) Fucking true, man. Even boards that I thought, actually, yeah, can't turn them. As I get stronger in the legs and I progress, I think, well, actually, I can. I can make the most of this board now. This is kind of moving more than I thought it could. The board was always capable of doing whatever I was had the physical strength or wherewithal or technical knowledge to make it happen. So there is that. But there is a joy also in having different boards for different beaches or different waves. And um, the novelty of changing and riding different things creates a sort of level of flow that you might not get if you're just completely used to the same thing. You know what you're getting because it sort of increases on some waves the jeopardy angle and say, well, it's a bit more critical and this board's a bit sketchy on this wave. Well, that might make more of an excitement factor in the surf. And, and similarly, you know, on our mush burger crumbly waves, I mean, that's why we're sort of puddle fanatics. And I know that it divides opinion a little bit on whether it's sort of a lazy board and makes it easy to surf, which invariably it does, but it's certainly on our kind of um, windy mush burgers, it really does help. And as I've said before, you know, for me, even although it is a sort of cheat code at times because it was racing away, because it's sort of a PU element to the one I've got, it does sink right. You can get your rail in a little bit more than I ever thought you would be able to. So yeah, it's a good to have different variety. 
It so is. And I, going back to your bit about the surfer and not the board, yeah. it relates to all sports. Yeah. It takes a very humble and very aware character who can go, actually, it's me. At the end of the day, if someone's carrying a cup of stone, you know, if you're carrying 14 to 20 kilos mm. or, or 40 pounds yeah. more than you should, whatever should means, but could and might want to for optimal health, it's going to slow the whole thing down. Balancing on one leg is harder. Snapping off the ground is harder. Pumping your front foot to your back foot to your front foot is harder. Like everything is harder if you're a bit overweight. So the board can't get around that. And even if you do go much, much bigger volume on that, well, then you've got the implication of you've got this giant board. And a giant, giant board is actually really hard to move around and you still need loads of strength and loads of power. And if that's not there... So fair enough, someone might be overweight, that's, and that's totally fine. And listen, yeah. this is never a judgment of the people who are carrying a few pounds who, who surf. That's, listen, it's for sport for everyone. It's purely talking about the performance aspect. But it's this thing where you might even have someone who's carrying a few pounds, but does have mm. that power that can then work with that board, etc. A board can do that. So it's not to say exclusively carrying a few extra pounds is going to be the issue and it's not the board. You know, that's why surfing's so great. You just, listen, if you're this weight, get this board. If you're this weight, get this board. It's just to say that only you know your journey. That's the key always. Know your journey. Know where you want to be. Know how you want to ride, how you can access joy mm. in when you surf. For me personally, I'm at a point where I work on my fitness as my passion, as my calling, and my nutrition and all these things. Listen, it's always me as well. Of course it is. It massively is. If I was to say it wasn't, it was the boards. I mean, I'd be a complete loss of perspective. But I'm at that point where as experience has unfolded and developed, as well as fitness has increased, I can be much more accurate with knowing what I need in my quiver. And I think that's what happens with experience. I used to make way more mistakes with quiver choices than I do today. I tend Mm. to get it sort of generally about right. Mm. I think that's just an experience thing. I don't think that's just a, I don't think that's a, because I'm fitter. You've learned from trial and error so many times, which boards work, which ones don't. And we've talked about this many times, Liam, as well, that actually a lot of surfboard quiver choice is related to ego. Oh yeah. I mean. And that goes beyond this kind of surf, is it the surface of the board? It goes into the realm of the smaller and pointier the board you're carrying in a surf town when you're, let's say, a tourist or from out of town, the more, let's say, quote unquote, comfortable you'll feel because other people, other surfers will perceive you as, oh, they're good. They're obviously, you know, and it's a massive show. It's just all it is. And then they get in the ocean and then they sit there and they sink up to their nipples because there's so little volume. (laughs) And I swear, you and I both know this. We have seen this millions of times. And they are not catching a single wave. Now, my thing is, dude, how is it those kinds of people are not hearing the messages from surf instructors, from surf magazines, from surfboard shapers, from podcasts, from who actually go, look, guys, you just, you have got to be on the right board to have a good time. Well, they're not listening to them probably because there is so much now. I mean, the the beautiful thing is, is that you don't have to listen to this, but the actual technical platforms that you can go to, like Surf Simply and Ombi and Kale Brock and, and Surf Strength Coach and Surf Fit Academy. And I could go on and on. You know, there's a lot of people out there who are doing some good stuff to say. And we'll leave all that in the show we'll notes, by the way. Like, hey, if this is where you're at, try this. If you're here, try this. But it's like we've said before, you know, people, they don't want to listen sometimes if their ego isn't ready to listen. Sorry, guys, but I would also apply this a lot often to young men who are kind of coming to surfing for various reasons. But if you're in it for the aesthetics of it, then you're not going to listen because you, you, you're doing it for the, the image rather than the feel. Like you say, you're missing out. I've seen it happen so many times where people are sat with their arms folded looking cool as fuck and not actually getting the raw joy, the abandonment of riding the wave energy, however you want to ride it. 
And that's why I say it's a much happier, but then who am I to judge what they're happy is? Maybe that's their version of happy, sitting, looking cool. I'm not judging that. But from a riding of wave energy point of view, the surf school Stoke is where the uber smiles, the big kind of endorphin rush is really going on. If you're there, just go and get in a surf school and ride some whitewater because you'd be having a brilliant time. I love doing that. Just go for a body surf. I did the other day. I was, it was pretty crap conditions and I was like, oh, I'm not, I can't even surf on the phone. This is crazy. And just got put through the board on the beach and did some body surfing. And I was having a great time. So much more fun. Is letting go of the idea that you want to be a surfer. Quote, unquote. Yeah. It what? is so true. I think it's loosening up. We still see a lot. And sometimes you go, oh, God, this guy. And I, you make the mistake. Oh, let's give this guy some space. Paddling in looks good. <laughs> let's just sit there for hours doing nothing. You're like, oh, if that floats your boat or sinks your board, then whatever you do. <laughs> Very good. Yeah. That was totally unplanned, yeah. that little. That was a great line. The judgment that comes from better surfers, good, quote-unquote, yeah. good surfers, whatever these labels are, I mean, more experienced surfers, let's put it more, more mindfully, shall we? The judgment that gets thrown back in the direction of those people is just as problematic as the person mm-hmm. who chose the board out of egoic reasons in the first place. Yeah. Because, let's be honest, it's all just judgment. And like you said, if someone's having a good time in their version, sat there and looking cool, that's fine. When it's not fine, who's it not fine? Yeah. Let's be really honest about this. They're okay. And they're fine. If you're getting pissed with the fact that they're buying an expensive van and they're pretending to surf is according to you of them and that they're buying the hoodies, wearing the labels and they're fucking, you are the issue. Yeah. People do this and I've heard it in many car parks. Oh, it's fucking this van, that van, this expensive, this, this, that. Kooks. Kook, buy that, buy this. Kelly Slater model, da, 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 expensive, dee, 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 dee. And there they are with their locally made you know, single fin thing or twinny thing, whatever, that's specifically designed yeah. for where they serve, you know, and, and oh, I'm righteous and I'm, the, you know, it's just righteousness is what it yeah. is. That's the issue. Yeah. Not the, the person who's actually spending a ton of cash yeah. that's going there and yeah. going there. And then when people, when people, whenever someone spends money, well, Jesus Christ, it's going somewhere. It's going into jobs. It's judgment, isn't uh, it? You know, uh, factories, it's going into the factories of Billabong, yeah. it's going, and it's going there and it's going to manufacturers. It's, money's going, you know, that liquidity you talked about before. Mm. If those people are spending, 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 it's fucking good for the surf economy. You need sort of ethical principles in that in order to keep things balanced. You can't just be kind of let's fuck things up for the planet and whatever in the pursuit of wealth. But equally, there's a balance to be struck. And the judgment that comes on all sides is really always there. Judgment is always there to make yourself feel better about somebody else, isn't it? Whether it's a lighthearted judgment and we do laugh at kook slams and, you know, tourists who have sort of, you know, got their wetsuit on backwards. Of course, we're human. But it's at what point does it turn into a, I'm doing this in order to make my own ego feel, because I'm a way better surfer than, than that person. But if the boot was on the other foot and you were surfing in, I don't know, Kira or something, and you've got Oki or whoever's up there, uh, one of Josh Kerr, laughing at you as a, who is a big shot in your own break, you know, you wouldn't feel very good. And it's just the same. It's like the goes down the chain of command. So most people go in the water, they're there to have a good time. And it's just weird how it then starts to, create you know we have these little bits that ooh, i can judge this person now because they're not riding a board that's made out of recycled condoms or whatever <laughs> um do you know what i mean it's that's, just it's that that's funny for you dude yeah. that's actually oh, quite thanks. funny <laughs> yeah that's good actually is there jizz no i don't you just have to does that no that acts no. the resin is the no <laughs> sure Come on, we can go with that. Pre-waxed boards. Surely that's what so, sticks it all together. So you've kind of got this idea that judgment is there 
throughout the surfing world on all sides, from the uber hip crowd, super woke, all the way through to the gnarly kind of pros. And there's just bits of making yourself feel better because you can have a laugh at other people's expense. It's maybe a human condition. We're all trying so not true. to do it as much as maybe we do. So true. And, and I'd be the first to admit that I judge unconsciously other surfers in the water, out of the water, because I'm human and humans judge almost as an automatic. It's not who you really are. Right at our core, at our heart is kindness and oneness. And then you have the ego that's separating, separating, separating. So always say, you know, you're there, I'm here. You're there, I'm here. And it's just a journey of spotting the ego. Like if you spot your ego and you become more aware of that chatty mind and that mind that's linked to the body too, that makes judgments for other people, you can then go, oh, there it is. And to become a more mindful human isn't then to then go about rallying on their behalf the other way either. No. It's neither. It's nor rallying for the non-judgment, nor rallying against their thing that they do, that's they're buying their suits and they're, you know, they're looking like how you think they look. It's just noticing the insanity of the mind, coming back to stillness, the breathing, and let people be. And, and I see them in the water all the time. And this quote-unquote crusty, older, experienced, add all these labels I have for myself, surfer who thinks he can surf well, giving me this self-righteous, random, stupid, egoic justifications, what it is, for, let's say, more waves or more domination than the lineup. It just takes spotting. That's all it is. It's that yeah. spotting. See it. It's there. Let it pass. Once you take safety out of the equation. So there's a judgment from a safety angle sometimes where you go, yeah. well, I need, this is a sort of intervention because something's going to happen that's going to hurt someone. And that's where, obviously, is an important thing to sort of look at the situation in its own right. The judgment for whatever it is in terms of board, look, feel, persuasion, whatever it might be. I mean, you can apply that to all areas of life. It isn't actually a problem. It's your interpretation of the situation that creates the reaction to it, that gives you the thought, that makes you judgmental or angry or whatever is, whatever the negative reaction inside yourself to a perceived situation or somebody else's behavior that isn't really hurting you or the way they, whatever, live, dress, are. The problem is entirely, it's entirely yours and not, not theirs. Damn straight. So I then got to ask you then, what is your perception of me thinking that it's perhaps, only perhaps, male jism? Oh, Christ. Mix with a bit of female, if you like. That's what's the sticking glue for these recycled condom boards. Do you notice that they're... I wish I'd never said that now. Do you know they fly, so fly, they're flying an aeroplane over to buzz you out? <laughs> it's where my mind goes. Terry, I think what Ter- happens- Terry the biplane uh, driver, is like, oh, he's at it again. I'll fly over that studio. <laughs> I'll shut him up. Yeah, I know. It's a silly... It's just silly, 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 silly. Could be something in it, though, because they've done a cigarette butt surfboard. Yeah, so anything, yeah. really, that sort of recycles stuff into a uh, mm-hmm. new kit. That's a happy place. Good stuff. Hey, hope you're enjoying the show. If you connect with what we do here at The Mindful Surfer, why not share it with your friends? Or go on over to iTunes and leave us a review. Because the more ratings we have, the more likely it is Liam and I can come back week after week and keep building this community of mindful surfers. Now, let's get back to the show. Moving on to segment number two, the mindful surf, just a couple of moments to engage with your breathing to calm the body and raise your awareness. So take a breath in through your nose and breathe out. And breathe in and breathe out. And breathe in and breathe out. 
One last deep breath in through your nose. Take a deep breath in. I want you to hold your breath at the top. Really raise your awareness of the present moment. All the sounds, feelings, little nuances of this moment. And then breathe out really slowly. Good work, guys. One huge benefit of mindfulness work, like what you just did then, but for an extended period of time that we might call uh, meditation or bring it into some stretching like yoga or like a practice, a, a daily practice where you say, right, I'm going to practice mindfulness. One of the massive benefits you get from it and from an increase in awareness is noticing how distractible your mind is. Because how that relates to surfing life is really evident in the sense that, okay, so it's productivity on land, calm productivity, where you get one thing done at one time in one moment, move on to the next task. Mm. How many of us do one thing whilst then getting into another, then oh, another one comes up and then we haven't finished the previous task. And then we, before we know it, we're trying to get on with what we're getting on with and we haven't even gone it. We're just spinning around in circles. So we all do that. And it's the awareness that you're doing that, that then brings you back to, okay, I'm doing that. So now it's focused back on one thing. Mm. Because it prevents overwhelm, it prevents anxiety, it helps keep you calmer. How that also relates to surfing is that your performance in the ocean and your enjoyment in the ocean is really dependent, if you break it down, to how distractible or non-distractible, therefore, focus your mind is. Now, do you get distracted by the stand-up paddler over there? and it starts to invade your mind and you can't then refocus? Do you get distracted by the waves got a, a little bit punchier or do you get distracted by the fact that you feel like you're on the wrong board or like the list goes on and on. So the mind and thoughts are incredibly distracting if you allow them to be. If you raise your awareness of them, and this is why the mind training is just as important as the physical training. We talk about this every week, that even the English football team that just self-destructed mm. in that final of the European Championships of soccer, mm. or football as we call it in England, they were very, very distractible mm. humans because in the first half... They played with a focused intent on what they did want mm. and what they do want. Then the thoughts came in. What do we not want? And those thoughts were too powerful for their physical ability to not be distracted by them and, and override it. What's amazing about the mind-body relationship is it affects the body. Mm. It's a fascinating thing there. So if you think of something enough, it's like if you think of sour sweets or really sour cheese now enough, really think of this thought of eating the cheese. You might even start to get some glands start twitching at the back. You might actually almost start salivating in the mouth. Mm. And it's the same with any. I mean, the classic one is think of your favourite sexual fantasy. I've not seen that in any books. <laughs> I mean, I'm currently reading You Are the Placebo by Joe Dispenza, and so far Dr. Joe has not yet put that... Maybe I haven't got to that chapter yet, Will. Listen, I mentioned it in my book. In my book, Filling the Happiness Gap, which, by the way, you can find it in Amazon. That's my first plug of my book, by the way. Uh, it's not. Is it not? Have I plugged it 18 times already? Every Maybe show. I put it in the show notes. I have, I have, I, yeah. It's number two in the bestsellers list is, after George Spencer's You Are the Pursuit. It is. It is a good book. I've read it. Thanks, mate. It's in my toilet now, though. It's like a toilet reading book. Good, nice. It to is a toilet book. roll. It's a good book. Thanks, buddy. But it's this thing where I mentioned that in mm. mine because I'm potty mouthed and I like to talk about naughty things. Yeah. But for a lot of people, when they're not very mind aware, they go, yeah, whatever. Mm. It's just it's a load of nonsense. And then you say, right. Do you think about that time, that special time you had with other Raf or that, you know, fly away one-off moment or even like your fantasy moment, or whatever it might be, something sexual, and you really just close your eyes, just really go through it, go through it, and you tell me that there's not a relationship between your mind and your body. It's impossible. Hormones start changing 
and you start filling up in different areas, blood starts moving. That is a men- that is it a- I just think about that for a moment. Just think about the fact that with this invisible space inside your head, you can affect reality. Going back to mindfulness training, I really recommend that we all do it. And I know I'm biased. I've said this to you before on many shows. I am fully biased about the aspect of it being structured meditation practice. Just based on my own experience. And that's, but again, everybody's biased. If someone came on this show who'd loved the vegan diet, they'd tell mm. us to eat vegan or, or try and do something close to it. Mm. Or someone would come on and said they really benefited from running in their life. You know, everyone comes from where they come from. So I do understand that. My real belief, mm. strong belief is that we could all benefit from daily structured mindfulness practice. Well, I think that's why we're sort of not, we're not peak mindfulness. There's no question that it's a long way to go because we're in a sort of vaguely unconscious world, aren't we? And but we are in the, as much as it's ever been, a distraction economy. So everything that we interact with now is designed specifically to grab your attention. In order to do that, it's going to, because as I said a few episodes ago, we're in a sort of asymmetrical warfare with the technology and the algorithms that exist because they know your buttons more than you know them and they, it's getting cleverer and cleverer. So they're able to manipulate your mind to pull you into a vortex that is entirely there to keep you in that sort of sphere of influence, in their sphere of influence, in order to, you know, build a better picture of how it should behave in future and also advertise to you. And there's no question that's what that's designed to do. Mindfulness practice, for me, this is my soapbox moment in a way, where you say it is incredibly important to teach ourselves techniques in order to rebalance a little bit that equation. We're not going to win it because the resources that are going into that uh, world are immense. It's a kind of global drive to have us hooked more and more on the sort of technological devices that exist. But the sort of dangerous stuff is more of the sort of social media side because that sort of triggers all of those fears of missing out and uh, kind of comparison vortexes that we fall into. And we know that there's a sort of spiral and descent into unhappiness when you're looking at other people's lives and comparing yours to it. So mindfulness practice for me, and if, you know, if we just get through to one or two people, is to create tools to take you out of that distraction vortex and to turn your attention inside yourself in a good way. And to give space between the triggered thoughts that you might get if you're in that sort of good and bad, because you might be getting sort of dopamine release, but you might get the dopamine release from reading articles that are couched in angriness or controversy. So it's giving space and time where your attention is not put on the things that are making you stressed or whatever it might be and that are complete distractions and allowing the human body, therefore, to truly relax on a sort of cellular level because the mind isn't, as you say, will triggering all of those real kind of gnarly reactions to something that actually also isn't real. Because you're right, I mean, this is the Dr. Joe Dispenza goes on. And, you know, people have views on Joe where you go, well, some of his stuff is quite out there. You've got to really kind of go, wow, yeah. But on a basic level, he's absolutely, in my mind, right where you say your thoughts can determine your physical reaction to things. That's why we have stress, isn't it? Because the fear trigger that your mind creates might not really be looking at a lion that's about to sort of pounce on you and eat you, but your body starts to react in exactly the same way than as if you were stood exactly face to face with that real living, breathing, hmm. snarling creature. To give yourself time away from thoughts that then allows your body to, and this is where the mind-body connection for me comes in as well, mindfulness and meditative practice is important. It gives you a little bit of a fight back to all of the things that are designed to kind of want to grab your intention. That can be anything. It can sometimes even be surf, looking at surfboards. 
all of that stuff. And without it, you are bombarded and you are, you know, I feel I would be lacking the tools to deal with some of the new distractions that just we find ourselves having put in front of us in this 21st century world we live in. Totally do. I think that with media in general, whether it's just any media, regardless of social, I think there's a point in which we're full. So we're hungry. We start filling up like you have with a meal. And then we are full, we're satiated with a bit of some of the joy, genuine joy that comes with learning and reading and being distracted in that moment. You're not having to be totally focused on the present, but, you know, losing yourself in a book, in an article, in a headline, in a sports paper, social media post or videos or whatever it might be that makes up you looking at that little device. It's knowing when you're full. That's the tricky but It's just like food. I liken it to food very similarly, incredibly similar, because yeah, we've got that space for information. Humans crave information. We like food. Now, whatever that information for you is up to you, and there's no judgment in that. I like you know digesting information that lifts me up mm. and I find really enjoyable to read, not stresses me out. Like I've, I'm very, very attuned to that. If anything mm. gets me a bit, you know, it's really strongly opinionated or it's negative or it's like, you know, talking about the shit that's in the world and things like that, like I it just... Generally, I steer clear, but when I've had my fill, I know it. And the reason why I know it is because I start then doing this thing where I just start overeating. Because what has happened, whenever we take on a hit of dopamine, you then want more. You want more. It's a bit like the second coffee phenomenon. Mm. It's like you've had a coffee and then you know the second one ain't going to give you that hit. Nowhere close. But we as humans, we crave high emotions. So you go for that next. And of course, it doesn't work. Mm. So much mindfulness, like you said, Liam, is being able to come away from how distractible that world is, like you're talking about, and knowing when you're full, yeah, knowing uh, when you've hit your brim. I think it's a great analogy because the things that are distracting us are equivalent to the discovery of that hyperpalatability in foods. So social media is essentially salt of caramel. It's kind of that vibe, isn't it, that you... You can't help yourself if you haven't got the tools to break the chain of addiction to get away from it. And I'm talking to myself as much as anything else because I do, because of my previous like sort of interest and in, still there in you know news and politics to a, almost a detrimental effect because you can't fix the world by worrying about it. But you're drawn into that vortex of oh yeah well now I'm linked to that article oh Christ yeah didn't know about that oh that's really triggered me. And unless you can step away and take yourself away from those thoughts. You could lose your mind, <laughs> quite literally, for no gain. Yeah. Does, that's not going to make the world a better place, us getting sick, as you've said often, Will, because of something we're triggered by. It's trying to sort of making the disconnection happen, isn't it? Lovely line. Let's keep it there. That's beautiful, dude. Segment number three, moving on. Mind, body, stoke things Liam and I have been doing with the mind and the body to raise the stoke. I had a surf on Sunday on my puddle jumper in maybe three foot surf. Two to three. So we're calling it knee to chest, sort of, waist to chest. Fun little waves, some real quick ones every now and then with little barrel sections and real rippable little bowls. I surf better there than I have for a while. And it's it's not just better. It's like there's a sort of authentic, deeper well of energy. It's like a reserve, like a, a reserve of energy mm. that with each paddle stroke, there was like strength behind it and power and interest and intrigue and enjoyment that comes from adequate rest. Now, previous weekend or the weekend before that, I'd played a lot of cricket and I'd also had a lot of running around with the kids more. I just went, right, I'm going to do that. And then I did a couple of extra kettlebell workers. I've been getting really into kettlebells, as people know, on the show. And then I surfed 
it was all a bit sticky, mm. a bit tired, and wasn't quite hitting the lip as well as I could. And just, but more importantly than the performance aspects, it's the enjoyment of it. Because for me, I think one of the biggest things we could all talk about as surfers is: Are we authentically loving a session that we're in? And the reason why I get people to ask that is, and ask yourself that is, is that if you're not, one of the biggest reasons why it might not be happening for you, and you're just sort of having half sessions, sessions where you just go in because mm. it's just. You can tick that box, basically, mm-hmm. rather than like having the enthusiasm for it and the joy and the real zest. So much is rest. Because if you are having super late nights, for whatever reason, if you're over-consuming alcohol, sugary foods, whatever it might be, but basically if you're giving your body more strain, it can be a huge reason why you're not getting as much enjoyment out of your surfing as, as you could. Now, it's in a way, it's very obvious, isn't it? I mean, yeah. if someone feels groggy yeah. and tired and then goes surfs, well... What do you expect? You'll probably feel quite groggy and tired when you're out there. Now, albeit a happier groggy and tired, yeah. and certainly it's always more beneficial to have had that surf than not. I mean, Christ's sake, I'm not then saying don't surf in your surf window because we all have these quote-unquote surf windows. And listen, you just got to fit it in yeah. when you can fit it in. And that's how life is. It's just if we can, it's to grow in that ability to leave things undone. There's a beautiful Lao Tzu quote yeah. from the Tao, which goes, there is just as much discipline as the things we get done, if not more than the things we leave undone. Absolutely. So that's hard sometimes because it comes back to that thing we both said, Liam, the distractible mind. Like, you know, why did you go to bed, you know, late night after night? Was wanting that distraction, that dopamine, maybe, of TV beyond 10 o'clock, beyond 11 o'clock, into 12 o'clock. We're all human. It happens. So it comes back to that mind that goes, right, I've had my fill. I've eaten my meal. I've watched my telly. I've watched my... Right, now... Here we go. It's nine o'clock. It's nine thirty. We're off to bed. I've had my last. It's like those sessions we talked about. Knowing when to get out is as important as knowing when to get in. Almost, you know, you kind of like. Well, I've had my waves now. I've stopped getting enough of them. I know that my body's getting tired. I'm getting out, and yeah, I still struggle with that sometimes because you think, oh no, I'll recover. I'll get one more. I'll get one more. No, totally. I think sort of being able to leave stuff. That's why I didn't surf on Sunday because I'd been in Cornwall the week before, and yeah, that was very disciplined, just for a night. And I knew I had a late night on the Saturday night. And I spend about three and a half, four hours on the beach coaching on a Saturday morning. So all of those things lined up for me ahead of time, actually. It's a good example to say, do you know what? No, I'd love to get up and do a dawning on the Sunday, but I can't do it. My body's just not going to let me. I already have my fill of, you know, very small waves, but some really nice waves. Again, going back to surfing a board appropriate as well. On the foamy, the Mick Fanning, this Mick Fanning uh, Little Marley, which it just gives you a lot of joy in very crowded beach breaks as well when you don't, well, you you're not really ripping. You're just kind of on there having fun riding uh, wave energy. But having filled my boots in that time and knowing all the things that were lining up, it was easy for me to say no than previous. Because before, I was like, no, I've got to go. I'm just going to get up. And then and then you, you compound the tiredness and you compound the physical. For my body thing that we were talking about just before the show is exactly that, that rest bit. Because I'd gone burnout before and then rested and felt good. And I'd just done another period where I've had a little bit more rest from surfing. We kept up some of the exercise, but we didn't like train last Monday, did we? In the, because we, we were surfing. And suddenly you feel your body gets to a point where it goes, oh yeah, thank you. So I'm now going to thank you by repairing and recovering. And when we go again, we're going to be really on it. Rest is, is really vital, but it's knowing when to call that before your body calls it for you. So true. And you do need less yeah. the younger you are. Yeah, God, yeah. When I was in my 20s, I could surf eight hours on a Friday, 
I used to have Fridays off, and I still have Fridays off. But eight hours on a Friday, eight hours on a Saturday, and about the same Sunday. And then just didn't even. I didn't even used to stretch. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I can't, I can't even rack my head. You know, I need a twenty twenty five minute stretch yoga session now to really mm. get me ready for the beach. This is a good hydration level. Like I need to have not gone too mental the day before. Like this, as you get older, and that's only thirty seven. But I think it's really cool because I think that then you appreciate the feeling of wellness far more than when you were younger because you had it more freely maybe mm. i'm only assuming here more freely when you were younger and now you have to work at it more mm. but it's a bit like what we said before with led hamilton there's a great led hamilton quote which is as each year progresses i become even more determined yeah. to remain youthful and do my my squats do my my pull-ups my core exercises yoga breathing cardio enough rest yeah. not just all the training because if you overtrain you overtrain yeah and then it won't do you surfing any good. But, you know, get it all right. Get it all dialed. And that's a mind work on, isn't it? Because, you know, I'm also guilty of saying sometimes. Almost culturally, we're in this place where you go, oh, I'm a bit old for that. You know, whatever it might be. And, and often what people are saying they're too old for are the things that would give them that sort of raw, unadulterated joy that comes from playing. You know, things like surfing and skating and whatever you're doing for like hobby um a hobby can often be seen as like frivolous or playful. And, and you know, I would hope that we're getting better as a sort of society at saying, it doesn't matter what age you are, if you like doing that, if you'd like dancing or rollerblading or roller skating or surfing or skating or whatever, uh, base jumping, you do it what, how, as long as your body allows you to do those things. It's important to sort of embrace them. There is also something in the enjoyment, because like you say, you know, when you're younger, you can just keep going time and, you know, you go again, you go again, you go again. But as your body starts to uh, age a little bit more and then you have to do more of the sort of stretching and repair and rest, there is also something really lovely about the sense of not over fatigue, but fatigue in body. You know, so we did some kettlebells on Monday night uh, and we're recording this on Wednesday. And my hamstrings, for example, feel good fatigued, good tired used you know you can feel the muscle is whatever happens to them like a micro tear that when it's repairing you get that sort of muscle ache that feels for me whether it's a weird thing it feels good i'm like wow that feels amazing and the same is true of the surf you know if you hit the sweet spot of surfing and time outdoors with doing exercise the rest that comes from the sense of physical tiredness is really there is a real joy in that as well totally do massively yeah. do you have anything you want to share on mind body soap not other than that really i mean as i think that kind of rest period that i just been through was very needed you know it was it was a time for my body to just go okay i'm just gonna have a breather take some time to repair and go again uh, i'm still on this very much you know annoying the shit out my lovely very patient wife on this drive to eliminate certain things from processed food, you know, well, actually, we don't appear to be heavily processed foods. But when you read the pack full mm. of rapeseed or canola oil or sunflower oil, vegetables, you know, industrial seed oils, and I'm like, I'm just gonna see how it goes taking all that stuff out of my diet because I was under the impression I was eating fairly clean until you kind of go, okay, is that stuff actually very good for you? And why am I putting it in there in the quantities that I'm doing? The problem for me, Will, as you will know, is that a lot of the stuff that I love. Has it crisps? You cannot eat a packet of crisps of my chosen variety without encountering that stuff. You know, almost by default, I've cut the crisp stuff out as well, which is a great sadness to me. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those foods really interesting because it's sort of, again, it's so individual. And as William Shakespeare once said, 
to thyself known be true, and only you know how you feel. There's no comparison. There's no way of knowing how someone else feels. You might get an interpretation of how you think they feel, but that's still interpretation. Only they know. Now, what's their standard? Where do they want to be in their wellness? Now, that's up to them. Mm. And so it's just so individual. And listen, crisps, fucking amazing. When it hits your lips, the sound and the bite, it's like a high, Mm. especially with a bit of hummus and some beer or Coke or whatever. And then we discussed this on the show that you then have this thing called cost-benefit ratio. So the benefit of the high is this high of five minutes, whatever it is, 10 minutes, whatever you have. If the cost to that benefit is hours and hours, days and days of a sore back or whatever it might be, or feeling groggy or the next day not surfing very well and not enjoying it and getting cranky with your partner or I don't know, whatever, add whatever else into there you, that you know you can relate your food choices to. Because food affects us way more than people realize. When you talk to someone who's incredibly mindful, they'll, be, they'll tell you just how much food. When someone isn't, you don't judge. You, just, you can just get a sense that they are completely unaware of the, how the impact of food on their health. But when you're really in tune with your body, you move away from that paradigm. And you stop looking at these short-lived highs as something that's meaningful because you're happier. It's like when you're already, already calm, well, present, and loving your life and all these things, you think to yourself, well, this moment with this food is not going to add anything. No. It's going to be so short. Now, it's not to say that you might not then still think, actually, you know, you know it will. It will add something. It's going to be fun. It's going to be a release. Because listen, some people really love that and can manage that brilliantly. Mm. Still feel great. Listen, kudos to you. Fantastic. For me personally, it's just, I eat what people say is sort of religiously clean eating and living, but I don't even see it that way. It's just their view upon mine. I have my view, my approach, and it's very important to me because it keeps me really happy. And I know I'm generally really happy every day. And that's all I need to know. And that's So a- it's just, you know what I mean? It's so individual, this thing. Well, what is funny sometimes, it goes as a judgment. Sometimes it's other people have the problem with what you're doing. Not you. I know friends who've given up drink and have often said that about drink because of the society we live in. And by the way, I'm still including beer in my uh, diet because it's a Fair whole enough. food. I, you have said. It's a whole food. You have. It's going to be the last thing. <laughs> uh, on a serious note, you know, if you look at well-known oat milk brands and then you look at a beer, beer is way more wholesome in terms of ingredients. Yes, there's the alcohol content, but look at the quality of ingredients. Anyway, I digress. Friends who have given up booze have often said it's not them that have the problem that they've given up booze it is other people around them seem to have more of a problem with it than they do which in itself highlights the almost the madness of crowds that says oh you can't be happy because you're not doing the same things that we're doing it's like well you do what you do and i'll do what i do and we don't need to fall out about it but you don't need to project your view of the world on me and vice versa let's just get along and if we did that a little bit more i think the world be a happier place it's an interesting one you mentioned there with alcohol Liam, because what gets thrown out into society is that alcohol cigarettes are going to kill you and that they're awful. Yeah. And I want to counter that. Not say the opposite, because that'd be ridiculous, yeah. but find the middle ground and, and go into the nuance and actually do some health research. I have hundreds of books on health. I've been researching and experimenting on health and wellness for a number of years, more than 15 years. And what I've discovered in that time, working with clients too, is that alcohol is not a huge issue. And neither are cigarettes, and neither is tobacco. It is processed food and the overconsumption of it. That is a far more addictive, way more insidious effect yeah. of, on your health than alcohol or tobacco. And in fact, some tobacco and, and, like you said, a couple of pints of ale is, in my view, better for you than sitting and eating a packet of biscuits or a yeah. bag of crisps. And feeling bad about the world. Yeah, and then judging other people. Oh, look mm. at the drinkers. Look at the, 
Again, it just goes back to how do you feel? And, and only you know that, because even when I'm saying this, it's my interpretation. And listen, I, I wanted to voice that because I think it's it's the counter view. It's the devil's advocate to what people believe. Yeah. Oh, alcohol's horrendous. Well, sugary alcohol, yeah. again, that's an issue. It's the sugar. And again, an overconsumption of it. Yeah. And also all the processed shite. You can get some shite alcohol. Yeah. You really can. But if you eat well-brewed alcoholic XYZ, yeah. It's fine. You're going to feel a little bit whatever the next day and your liver has to do a little bit of work. Yeah. But if you do it every now and then, no big deal. Yeah. Not at all. It's interesting because when you meet people who are really doing the research, they're not making snap judgments of how they see things with the odd article here and there. Yeah. You get these conversations going because yeah. they really are on the inside of this stuff, and, reading about it all the time. And conversely, they're often non-judgmental. It's the judgment comes from the other side sometimes of the argument that you're going against an orthodoxy that exists and those orthodoxy is only there until evidence-based stuff finds otherwise. That's why pregnant women were told to smoke back in the day. Probably wasn't good for them, but the advice was it was. And, you know, that just shows you how things can change. That's my thing is, is increase my beer and taking out oat milk. <laughs> in a nutshell. In a nutshell. Talking I've been nutshells. getting talking more of, hammered. Talking of half shells, remember this? We might not remember it. Wait a second. Liam, have you shut yourself? No. Why have you gone quiet? He has. He, everyone, no, every, ladies and gentlemen, Liam has, has shot himself. It's not going to work. I was going to play a theme tune. Uh, of it the sounds like it was working. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And the reason I was going to play with that is because we've had a couple of... Oh, this of is Surf Media. Surf Media. Let, let, let's, let's, not, let's just wait. I've jumped in. We're, we have now moved on to yeah. segment number four, Surf Media yeah. Insight. Now go, go, go. Well, it's go, not really go. Surf Media Insight, but we'll put this up on social. We've had a couple of turtles in the tropics named after us by a listener to the show, Joe. Thank you, Joe, for your amazingly kind words. We won't read the letter out until we give us permission, but I know you said we could talk about this, is that, um, yeah, really, really lovely words and uh, somebody who's working on like conservation projects on the other side of the world and, um, yeah, named a couple of little turtle hatchlings after me and Will. So they're out there swimming around the ocean. I wonder if one of them has really curly hair that when it flops down the ocean looks a bit like Hitler. <laughs> and I wonder if the other one talks relentlessly about pubic hair. I bet you... You go and find these little these little guys. Little energy balls swimming around the ocean. So mm. good luck in your life, Will and Liam Turtles. There you go. Very good. Guys, thanks for joining us. It's been a pleasure. We shall be back. See you next, next week. week. See ya.